Chapter Two of The Witch of Salem. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty Chris. The Witch of Salem by John R. Music. Chapter Two. Pennsylvania. I had a vision. Evening sat in gold upon the bosom of a boundless plain covered with beauty garden field and fold studying the billowy sweep of ripening grain like islands in the purple summer main the temples of pure marble met the sun that tinged their white shafts with a golden stain and sounds of rustic joy and labor done hallowed the lonely hour until her pomp was gone crowley Religious fanaticism is the most dangerous of all the errors of mankind. A false leader in religion may be more fatal than an incompetent general of an army. Therefore ministers of the gospel and teachers have the greatest task imposed on them of any of God's creation. When once one's religion runs mad, barbarity assumes the support of conscience and feels its approval in the consummation of the most heinous crimes. The pilgrims and Puritans, who had fled from religious persecutions across the seas, and had come to the wilderness to worship God according to their own conscience, were unwilling to grant the same privilege to others. For this reason they banished Roger Williams, and persecuted other religious sects not in accordance with their own views. They whipped Quakers, bored holes in their tongues, branded them with hot irons, and even hung them for their religious views. Why need one blame Spain for the infamous Inquisition when the early churches of Protestantism did fully as bad? Religious fervor controlled by prejudice and ignorance is the greatest calamity that can befall a nation. The Quakers appeared first in England about the time Roger Williams procured his charter for Rhode Island. The term Quaker, now so venerated and respected, was given the sect in derision, just as the Puritans, Protestants, and many other now respectable sects were named. Their founder and preachers were among the boldest and yet the meekest of the nonconformists. Their morality was so strict that by some they were denominated ascetics, and this strictness was carried into every habit and department of life. Extravagant expenditures, fashionable dress, games of chance dancing attending the theatres and all amusements however harmless were forbidden by this sect even music was discouraged as a seductive vanity the members of this church were forbidden to own slaves to take part in war engage in lawsuits indulge in intemperance or profanity which if persisted in was a cause for the expulsion of a member from the society and the whole body was in duty bound to keep a watch upon the actions of each other their practices so generally agreed with their principles that society was compelled to admit that the profession of a quaker or friend as they usually styled themselves was a guarantee of a morality above the ordinary level of the world the founder of this remarkable sect was george fox a shoemaker of leicestershire england who at the early age of nineteen conceived the idea that he was called of god to preach the gospel of the lord jesus christ he attacked the coldness and spiritual deadness of all the modes and forms of religious worship around him and soon excited a persecuting spirit which marked his ministerial life of about forty years as a pilgrimage from one prison to another. 
when, in 1650, he was called before Justice Bennett of Derby, he admonished that magistrate to repent and tremble and quake before the word of the Lord. At the same time, his own body was violently agitated with his intense emotions. The magistrate and other officers of the court then and there named him a Quaker out of derision, a term which the society has since come to use themselves. William Penn, the son of a distinguished English admiral, became an early convert to this religion. At an early age, while at college, he embraced the doctrines and adopted the mode of life of George Fox and his followers. When his father first learned that his son was in danger of becoming a Quaker, he was incredulous. The admiral was a worldly, ambitious man, and had great plans in view for his son, which would all be blasted if the precocious youth adopted the new religion. The struggles of young William Penn with his ambitious father were long and bitter. He was beaten and turned out of doors by his angry parent, then taken back by the erratic but kind-hearted father and sent to France to be lured with gaiety and dazzled with promises of wealth and distinction. William Penn had the courage of his convictions and yielded not one whit of his religious ideas. Conscious of being right, he was unmoved by either promises or threats. He even withstood the fires of persecution. On one occasion, he and another were tried on a charge of preaching in the streets. The jury, after being kept without fire, food, or water for two days and nights, brought in a verdict of not guilty, for which they were each heavily fined by the court and committed to Newgate Prison. Penn and his companion did not wholly escape, for they were fined and imprisoned for contempt of court in wearing their hats in the presence of that body. At this time William Penn was only twenty-four years of age. A great many friends had emigrated to America, and two had become proprietors of New Jersey. The first event that drew Penn's particular attention to America was when he was called upon to act as umpire between two Quaker proprietors of New Jersey. Having the new world thus thrust upon his attention, the young convert to the new religion began to look with longing eyes across the Atlantic for a home for himself and his persecuted brethren. Shortly afterward, he obtained from the crown a charter for a vast territory beyond the Delaware. This charter was given in payment of a debt of $80,000 due to his father from the government. The charter was perpetual proprietorship given to him and his heirs in the fealty of an annual payment of two beaver skins. In honor of his Welsh ancestry, Penn proposed calling the domain New Wales. For some reason the Secretary of State objected. Penn, while endeavoring to think up an appropriate title, suggested that Sylvania would be an appropriate name for such a woody country. The secretary, who drew up the charter on the impulse of the moment, prefixed the name of Penn to Sylvania in the document. William Penn protested against the use of his name, as he had no ambition to be thus distinguished, and offered to pay the secretary if he would leave it out. This he refused to do, and Penn next appealed to the king, the Merry King Charlie, who insisted that the province should be called Pennsylvania, in honor of his dead friend, the Admiral. Thus Pennsylvania received its name. The territory included in William Penn's charter extended north from Newcastle in Delaware 
three degrees of latitude and five degrees of longitude west from the delaware river william penn was empowered to ordain all laws with the consent of the freemen subject to the approval of the king no taxes were to be raised save by the provincial assembly and permission was given to the clergymen of the anglican church to reside within the province without molestation the charter for pennsylvania was granted on march fourteenth sixteen eighty one and in the following may penn sent william markham a relative to take possession of his province and act as deputy governor a large number of emigrants in the employee of the company of free traders who had purchased lands in pennsylvania of the proprietor went with him these settled near the delaware and builded and planted with the assistance of algernon sidney a sturdy republican who soon after perished on the scaffold for his views on personal liberty penn drew up a code of laws for the government of the colony that were wise liberal and benevolent and next year sent them to the settlers in pennsylvania for their approval william penn soon discovered that his colony was liable to suffer for the want of seaboard room he coveted delaware for that purpose and resolved if possible to have it this territory however was claimed by lord baltimore as part of maryland and for some time had been a matter of dispute between him and the duke of york for the sake of peace the latter offered to purchase the territory of baltimore but the baron would not sell it penn then assured the duke that lord baltimore's claim was against law civil and common the duke gladly assented to the opinion and the worldly wise quaker obtained from his grace a quitclaim deed for the territory now compromising the whole state of delaware as soon as william penn had accomplished his purpose he made immediate preparations for going to america and within a week after the bargain was officially settled he sailed in the ship welcome with one hundred immigrants in august sixteen eighty two Many of his emigrants died from smallpox on the voyage, but with the remainder he arrived early in November at Newcastle, where he found almost a thousand emigrants. In addition to these, there were about three thousand old settlers, Swedes, Dutch, Huguenots, Germans, and English, enough to form the material for the solid foundation of a state. Their pen received from the agent of the Duke of York and in the presence of all the people a formal surrender of all that fine domain the dutch had long before conquered and absorbed the swedes on the delaware and the english in turn had conquered the dutch and it was by virtue of his charter giving him a title to all new netherland that the duke claimed the territory as his own the transfer inherited for penn and his descendants a dispute with the proprietors of maryland which might seem incompatible with the views of quakers william penn in honor of the duke attempted to change the name of cape henlopen to cape james but geography is sometimes arbitrary and refuses to change at will of rulers and henlopen and may preserve their original names given them by the dutch it was the earliest days in november when william penn with a few friends set out in an open boat and journeyed up the river to the beautiful bank fringed with pine trees on which the city of philadelphia was soon to rise on this occasion was made that famous treaty with the indians with which every schoolboy is acquainted 
Beneath a huge elm at Shackamaxon, on the northern edge of Philadelphia, William Penn, surrounded by a few friends in the habaliments of peace, met the numerous delegations of the Leni Lenape tribes. The great treaty was not for the purchase of lands, but confirming what Penn had written and Markham covenanted, its sublime purpose was the recognition of the equal rights of humanity under the shelter of the forest trees barren of leaves from the effects of the early frosts penn proclaimed to the men of the algonquin race from both banks of the delaware from the borders of the schuylkill and it may have been even from the susquehanna the same simple message of peace and love which george fox had professed before cromwell and which mary fisher had borne to the grand turk he argued that the english and the indian should respect the same moral law should be alike secure in their pursuits and their possessions and should adjust every difference by a peaceful tribunal to be composed of an equal number of wise and discreet men from each race penn said we meet on the broad pathway of good faith and good will no advantage will be taken on either side but all shall be openness and love i will not call you children for parents sometimes chide their children too severely nor brothers only for brothers differ the friendship between me and you i will not compare to a chain for that reins must rust or the falling tree might break we are the same as if one man's body were divided into two parts we are all one flesh and blood the sincerity of the speaker as well as his sacred doctrine touched the hearts of the forest children and they renounced their guile and their revenge the presents which penn offered were received in sincerity and with hearty friendship they gave the belt of wampum we will live said they in love with william penn and his children as long as the moon and the sun shall endure mr bancroft says this agreement of peace and friendship was made under the open sky by the side of the delaware with the sun and river and the forest for witnesses it was not confirmed by an oath it was not ratified by signatures and seals no record of the conference can be found and its terms and conditions had no abiding inscription but on the heart they were written like the law of god the simple sons of the wilderness returning to their wigwams kept the history of the covenant by strings of wampum and long afterward in their cabins would count over the shells on a clean piece of bark and recall to their own memory and repeat to their children or to the stranger the words of william penn new england had just terminated a disastrous war of extermination the dutch were scarcely ever at peace with the algonquins the laws of maryland refer to indian hostilities and massacres which extended as far as richmond penn came without arms he declared his purpose to abstain from violence he had no message but peace and not a drop of quaker blood was shed in his time by an indian was there not progress from melendez to roger williams from cortez and pizarro to william penn the quakers ignorant of the homage which their virtues would receive from voltaire and reynal 
men so unlike themselves exulted in the consciousness of their humanity. We have done better, said they truly, than if the proud Spaniards, we had gained the minds of Potassi. We may make the ambitious heroes whom the world admires blush for their shameful victories. To the poor, dark souls around about us, we teach their rights as men. After the treaty, Penn again journeyed through New Jersey to New York and Long Island, visiting friends and preaching with his usual fervor and earnestness. Then he returned to the Delaware, and on the seventh day of November he went uplands, now Chester, where he met the first provincial assembly of his province. There he made known his benevolent designs toward all men, civilized and savage, and excited the love and reverence of all hearers. The assembly tendered their grateful acknowledgment to him, and the Swedes authorized one of their number to say to him in their name that they would live, serve, and obey him with all they had, declaring that it was the best day they ever saw. He informed the assembly of the Union of the Territories, as Delaware was called, with his province, and received their congratulations. Then and there was laid the foundation for the great commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One matter still remained to be adjusted, and that was some satisfactory arrangement with the third Lord Baltimore concerning the boundary lines. This at last having been amicably adjusted, Penn went up the Delaware in an open boat to Wicaco to attend the founding of a city, to which allusion had been made in his concessions in 1681. Before his arrival in America, Penn had thought of this city he was to found, and resolved to give it the name of Philadelphia, a Greek word signifying brotherly love, as a token of the principles in which he intended to govern his province. Near a blockhouse constructed by the Swedes, but which had since been converted into a church, he purchased lands extending from the high banks of the Delaware, fringed with pines, to those of the Schuylkill. There his surveyor laid out the city of Philadelphia upon a plan which would embrace about twelve square miles. The surveyor who aided William Penn in laying out Philadelphia was Thomas Holm. It was at the close of the year 1682 that the town was surveyed, and the boundaries of the streets marked on the trunks of the chestnut, walnut, locust, spruce, pine, and other forest trees covering the land. Many of the streets were named for the forest monarchs on which these inscriptions were cut, and still bear the names. The growth of the town was rapid, and within a year after the surveyor had finished his work, almost a hundred houses had been erected there, and the Indians daily came with the fruits of the chase as presents for Father Penn, as they delighted to call the proprietor. In the following March, the new city was honored by the gathering there of the Second Assembly of the Province, when Penn offered to the people through their representatives a new charter. The new charter was so liberal in all its provisions that when he was asked the question, Shall we accept the new constitution or adhere to the old one? They voted in a body to accept the new charter and became at once a representative Republican government. With free religious toleration, with justice for its foundation and the proprietor, unlike those of other provinces, 
surrendered to the people his charted rights in the appointment of officers from the beginning the happiness and prosperity of his people appeared to be uppermost in the heart and mind of william penn it was this happy relation between the proprietor and the people and the security against indian raids that made pennsylvania far outstrip her sister colonies in rapidity of settlement and permanent prosperity it was late in sixteen eighty two that a small house was erected on the site of philadelphia for the use of penn and only a few years ago it was still standing between front and second streets occupied by letitia court there he assisted in fashioning those excellent laws which gave a high character to pennsylvania from the beginning among other wise provisions was a board of arbitrators called peacemakers who were to adjust all difficulties and thus prevent lawsuits the children were all taught some useful trade when factors wronged their employees they were to make satisfaction and one-third over all causes for irreligion and vulgarity were to be suppressed and no man was to be molested for his religious opinions it was also decreed that the days of the week and the months of the year shall be called as in scripture and not by heathen names as vulgarly used as ye first second and third months of ye year beginning with ye day called sunday and ye month called march thus beginning the year as of old with the first spring month pennsylvania was first divided into three counties bucks chester and philadelphia and the annexed territories were also divided into three counties newcastle kent and sussex known for a long time afterward as the three lower counties on the delaware penn returned to england in the summer of sixteen eighty four leaving the government of the province during his absence to five members of the council of which thomas lloyd the president held the great seal william penn's mission in america had been one of success in sixteen eighty five philadelphia contained six hundred houses schools were established and william bradford had set up a printing press he printed his almanac for the year of the christian's account sixteen eighty seven a broadside or single sheet with twelve compartments the year beginning with march william penn could look with no little degree of pride upon his work if ever man was justified in being proud he was looking upon the result of his work he with righteous exultation wrote to lord halifax i must without vanity say i have led the greatest colony into america that ever man did upon private credit and the most prosperous beginnings that ever were in it are to be found among us penn bade the colonists farewell with the brightest hopes for the future saying my love and my life are to and with you and no water can quench it nor distance bring it to an end i have been with you cared for you and served you with unfeigned love and you are beloved of me and dear to me beyond utterance i bless you in the name and power of the lord and may god bless you with his righteousness peace and plenty all the land over then of philadelphia the apple of the noble quaker's eye he said 
and thou philadelphia the virgin settlement of this province my soul prays to god for thee that thou mayest stand in the day of trial and that thy children may be blessed he stood on the deck of the ship which was anchored at the foot of chestnut street when he delivered his farewell address and on that bright august day when the good ship spread her sails and sped away across the seas he bore away with him to england the blessings of the whole people four months after penn's return to england charles the second died and his brother james ascended the throne a period of theological and political excitement in england followed in which william penn became involved william penn and the new king had long been personal friends and through the influence of the honest quaker twelve hundred persecuted friends were released from prison in sixteen eighty six as james was under the influence of the jesuits his quaker friend was suspected of being one of them and when the revolution that drove james from the throne came penn was three times arrested on false charges of treason and as often acquitted his last acquittal being in sixteen ninety there had meanwhile been great political and theological commotions in pennsylvania and in april sixteen ninety one the three lower counties on the delaware offended at the action of the council at philadelphia withdrew from the union and penn yielded to the secessionists so far as to appoint a separate deputy governor over them in consequence of representations which came from pennsylvania the monarchs william and mary deprived penn of his rights as governor of his province in 1692 and the control of the domain was placed in the hands of governor fletcher of new york who in the spring of 1693 reunited the delaware counties to the parent province fletcher appeared at the head of the council at philadelphia on monday the fifteenth of may with william markham penn's deputy as lieutenant governor the noble quaker however had powerful friends who interceded with king william for the restoration of penn's rights he was called before the privy council to answer certain accusations when his innocence was proven and a few months later all his ancient rights were restored penn's fortune had been wasted and he lingered in england under the heavy hand of poverty until sixteen ninety nine when with his daughter and second wife hannah callowhill he sailed to philadelphia meanwhile his colony under his old deputy william markham had asserted their right to self-government and made laws for themselves they were prosperous but clamorous for political privileges guaranteed to them by law regarding their demands as reasonable penn in november seventeen o one gave them a new form of government with more liberal concessions than had been formerly given the people of the territories or three lower counties were still restive under the forced union with pennsylvania and penn made provisions for their permanent separation in legislation in seventeen o two and the first independent legislature in delaware was assembled at newcastle in seventeen o three although philadelphia and delaware ever afterward continued to have separate legislatures they were under the same government until the revolution in seventeen seventy six shortly after penn's arrival in america 
he received tidings that measures were pending before the privy council for bringing all of the proprietary governments under the crown pen located in philadelphia declaring it his intention to live and die there he erected an excellent brick house on the corner of second street and norris alley disparaging news from his native land determined him to return to england which he did in seventeen o one where he succeeded in setting matters to rights he never returned to america harassed and wearied by business connected with his province he was making arrangements in seventeen twelve to sell it for sixty thousand dollars when he was prostrated with paralysis he survived the first shock six years though he never fully recovered then he died leaving his estates in america to his three sons his family governed pennsylvania as proprietors until the revolution made it an independent state in seventeen seventy six during that time the great province of pennsylvania had borne its share of troubles with the french and indians end of chapter two of the witch of salem reading by marty chris